0: Hey friends, Ashton Gustafsson here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I hope you are doing well, I believe, today uh, when it's all said and done. We're going to have a new friend uh, here at the podcast joining us. Uh, His name is Greg Creech, and um, I came across this book of his not long ago. And and after I took kind of a nosedive into it, introduced it uh, to my family, introduced it at my place of work, I thought, man, Greg is someone that we need to get to know. The book is called Nikon, uh, Gratitude, Grace, and the Japanese Art of Self-Reflection. So right out of the gate, you can tell Greg, Greg is one of us, or we are one of him. I'm not sure which way that goes, but he's so kind to join us today from Vermont, and I'm super excited to see where we go today in this conversation. So Greg, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, It's really great to be here, Ashton.
0: Well, um, pardon my kind of choppy bio there for you, but when when you introduce yourself and your work in the world, where do you begin?
1: Where do I begin? Well, (laughs) uh, I would basically just say that uh, I'm kind of an ordinary human being that uh, was fortunate enough to kind of stumble on um, approaches of Japanese psychology when I was in my early 30s. And so um, I started studying them both in the US and in Japan and uh, found them to be very valuable personally and started uh, teaching and passing that on to other people. And I've been working with this material in terms of doing that for about 33 years now. So that's that's who I am.
0: Wow, wow. Now you also um, have the, and, and again, make sure I'm pronouncing things right here, the, the Todō Institute, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So, yeah. tell me a little bit about that work in
1: the world. Well, um, about uh, uh, almost 30 years ago, um, my wife and I decided we were going to move to Vermont and set up a nonprofit organization that could help, kind of, be a be a center, including a retreat center for people who wanted to learn this work, and so. We got that started um, just about 30 years ago. Uh, And we have a little center on 12 acres on a hillside, beautiful hillside in Vermont, surrounded by the woods. And people come here for retreats and uh, residential programs. And basically uh, folks who wanna learn about how to use this material personally and professionally, um, uh, they can come here. And uh, one of the interesting things about that is that the um, people from Japan, Um, for instance Dr. Morita was a psychiatrist uh, who started Morita therapy in Japan at that time this was back in the uh, early 1900s there were no psychiatric hospitals or psychiatric wards uh, that people would go to if they had psychological problems and so he had those people actually come and live with him in his house Um, so in other words his patients actually lived with him right they had a Had a room they ate breakfast with his family and um, raked leaves in his yard and and so we're using that same kind of model except we don't consider people who come here to be psychiatric patients some of them are mental health professionals for example but the idea is to actually learn the material not just by listening to lectures or reading but actually uh learn it in your body in other words Mm -hmm. to be able to absorb the, uh, ideas and principles and actually live them. Uh, and that's what we really do when we do trainings. We try to teach people, um, how to actually apply this to their lives on a day-to-day basis.
0: Immersion, if you will.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. Well, sounds like an amazing place. Uh, sounds like a place I'd like to visit one day. Um, so, um, I've always been drawn by the Japanese culture, the language so beautiful. Um, Their the, the way they lean into metaphor, I find to be super beautiful. This this work uh, that you've really kind of based last you know few decades of your life along on this on this Nikon. Um, I guess, hold my hand, when you begin this dialogue, if you were just gonna be in a room and kind of say, hey, th- this is this is what Nikon is, where do you, when we start this dialogue, where do you begin?
1: Well, I'll begin with um, uh, probably one of the most profound experiences that I had back in 1989, right? So a little more than 30 years ago. And I remember getting off a train in a little town called Kuwana in Japan. Um, not too far from Nagoya, and uh, taking a, uh, a cab to a center called Senkobo, which is out in a rural area, kind of in the middle of rice paddies, and it's actually a, a Buddhist temple, but it was functioning as a Nikon center. And I was there to spend two weeks um, doing nothing but reflecting on my life from the time I was born or at least as far back as I could remember until the present day. Uh, And so I went into that center and uh, I started that process. They uh, showed me to a large room, kind of what they would call a dojo, where there were little um, spaces on either side of the hall that were separated just by shoji screens. And so I had this little space, I had cushions to sit on and I would face the wall. And we would get started at about um, six o'clock in the morning or 5.30 in the morning. And we would just reflect on our life until about nine o'clock at night. And then <laughs> we go to sleep and then I'd do the same thing the next day. Uh, <clears throat> and I was, it was a very structured reflection. So uh, I had to uh, have somebody to reflect on a particular person. And so that could be, um, my mom or my dad or an ex-girlfriend or my brother or a teacher I had. Um, And essentially over that period, I reflected on everybody I could remember that I had any meaningful relationship with during my entire life, Um, family members, friends, uh, anybody that I had a meaningful relationship with. Uh, And so that would be the object of reflection. And then I was given uh, three questions with which to reflect on that person over a very defined period of time. So if I was reflecting on my mother, I wouldn't reflect on her for my whole life, but maybe I'd be at a a point, let's say, on the second day where I was just looking at my high school years. Right. And the questions were uh, in this case, what did I receive from her during those high school years? What did I give to her and what troubles and difficulties did I cause her? and I would have about two hours to reflect on that and think about it. And then someone on the staff would come and they would bow to me. It's a very, you know, kind of formal uh, process. They would bow uh, and I would bow back, which is a um, way of showing respect to the other person in Japan. And um, and I would share with them or report out what I could remember in response to those three questions, right? So I might say, well, you know, I remember that um, when I was uh, – Going to school, sometimes my mom would sneak into my backpack a little uh, Hostess cupcake or Hostess Twinkie, which is a, a little sugary treat that I used to eat back then. Um, that was something I received from her and, uh, you know, something I gave to her. Uh, maybe I remembered, you know, taking the garbage out and putting it out into the garbage pail so it would get picked up in the alley. And then a trouble I caused, well, I thought, thought of lots of troubles, um, but, you uh, One of them may be, um, you know, getting into a big argument with my brother, um, which created a lot of uh, tension and and conflict in the house and made my mom very uncomfortable. Um, So those are the kinds of things that I might remember. And I did this every day for about two weeks. So it's about 200 hours of reflection. And uh, when I left there, um, I felt that I was seeing my life completely differently than when I arrived there. Um, and I uh, left with a tremendous sense of um, being supported and cared for and loved in my life in a way that I had never felt before, and also with some sense of feeling guilty that I had done so little for so many of the people who had uh, taken care of me and supported me during the course of my life, um, and I felt very inspired to try to do something different as I move forward in my life. So that was... That was really the the most profound experience of Nikon, and that's that's a retreat type of setting. Um, when most people do Nikon, they don't. Although we offer retreats here in Vermont, um, most people will do it, you know, sitting on their living room sofa and writing on a little journal or something like that for 20 or 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Um, it's a little bit less arduous than it is uh, facing a wall for 15 hours a day. But um, but I always encourage people to do it as a retreat because you see your whole life during that period. So that was how I really got started with this material well, I had no intention of um, teaching it or starting the center. It was really just for me personally.
0: Well, wow. Well, wow. so that, those 200 hours, really something shifted in, in you. It was a, uh, mm-hmm. was it a new awareness? Was it awakening? How, how would you, how would you kind of label that? The, 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 gr- how was the mm-hmm. Greg really, you know, you, you mentioned, um, kind of an awakening to all that you'd been given and a little bit of guilt, you know, of like how you've not given back. And I don't think that that's the heartbeat of Nikon, right? It's not meant to, to be guilt-driven, um, but it does awaken you to maybe the possibility of places where you can uh, give back. I'm, I'm kind of chasing the question here, but just talk to me about leaving that, those two weeks, leaving those 200 hours and who, who you kinda, how you changed after that.
1: Well, I think um, uh, it's very hard to put into words, yeah. I think, yeah. what actually happens during that two weeks. And I think this would be true if you're interviewing somebody who had come here in the last 30 years and, and done a, we do one week retreats, had done a one week retreat. Um, and I don't know that that we can ever kind of um, really capture that in language. Yeah. But I think the the shifts for me during that time or at the time that I left was first you know, seeing basically going through everybody in my life, you know, not just my parents, but teachers, my my basketball coach in, in uh, junior high school and high school, and um, and seeing all of these very particular specific concrete things that they had done to support me and take care of me during that time. And uh, uh, it's something that I had, had really never seen before. Um, and so it really made me very aware of um, when I looked at the whole picture of my entire life, just how much care and support and love I had received far beyond anything that I had really been aware of. Um, And at the same time, as I looked at the second question, which was what did I give? I I was kind of disappointed that I hadn't given more in return to those those people and to other people. I, I found it much more difficult to think of things that I had given or done for other people um so i found for me that there was a great imbalance you know between um the tremendous amount that i was receiving and um the limited amount that i was was giving back Uh, and so one of the ways to look at that is that um, i arrived at the nikon center i think with a sense of um entitlement Mm -hmm. you know, that um, I was entitled to a good life. I was entitled to a mother that loved me perfectly. And I was entitled to a good job. And I was entitled to a nice house and to good health and um, a loving, intelligent, beautiful wife. And just, you know, I had this sense of entitlement. It wasn't something that I would necessarily talk about that way, but it kind of was underneath the way that I went through and and encountered life on a day-to-day basis. And when I left, I think what I had was um, a, a feeling of debt that it wasn't that the world owed me it was that I owed the world. Mm. And um, and that, I'm going to argue that that feeling of debt, which may sound kind of negative, is actually a really positive thing, because it left me with the challenge of how do I give something back to the world? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. You get what you give. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of an awakening. You write, um, I-, I love this. We think we know our own life, but what we know is only an edited version colored by our emotions and narrow vision how close can we come to the original draft staring at truth the soil is warmed and we begin digging towards the sky like high five through the microphone on that one um, so, so um t- t- talk to me about that narrow vision that we have That that you've got i think nikon the gift of nikon yeah. Is the step back, the the space, the 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 bird's eye view of yourself, if you will, right? Um, and and I think the discipline, the practice, the ritual, um, it it really does allow us to name reality for what reality is, right? Instead of the, our emotion that we lay over it, the narrative, the story, um, you actually uh, can step back and really instead of just seeing all the bad you you, you really start seeing the good was it some of your experience with it
1: yes I think that um, you know if if we ask people just kind of casually um, do you think you know yourself and do you think you're, you're you know your life pretty well most people would say yeah I, I do um, but one of the reasons that Nikon um, can be somewhat um, of a light bulb or an awakening for us, is that in so many encounters with life, when in, in, with other people, um, we have there's an emotional component that we bring to that encounter, and that emotional component, whether we're happy at that moment, whether we're angry, whether we're frustrated, whether we, were you know passionate, really colors that encounter. Right, And so for example, a simple thing like, let's say my wife Linda makes me a cup of coffee in the morning, she hands me a cup of of nice hot coffee. And my experience receiving that coffee from her will be different if the night before we had like the biggest argument of our marriage Mm -hmm. versus if the night before we had the most romantic dinner of our marriage, right? Because my emotional state is gonna be different. Mm -hmm. And so when we do this kind of reflection, what we're really doing is temporarily sweeping aside the emotional coloring of our relationships with people just to look much more objectively at just the facts of that relationship, right? The fact is she made and gave me a cup of hot coffee, right? Fact is that, um, <clears throat> uh, that my uh, uh, daughter uh, brought me a Uh, A little brownie from the bakery when she visited the other day. The fact is that um, I have eyeglasses and contacts that allow me to just see the world more clearly. So these are just kind of all facts of life, right? Mm -hmm. And in our relationship, often when we just look at these concrete realities, what did I receive from this person? What did I give? What troubles did I cause? without the emotional coloring, we see our relationship with people and our, our understanding of our life even in a very different way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a great gateway um, taking those three questions. What have I received? What have I given? Mm-hmm. What troubles and difficulties have I caused? A lot of your work, uh, I think with you and your wife has been, uh, is couples therapy the, the right way to, to, to say that? I, th- I think you guys have brought Nikon into uh, the, the The dialogue with um couples talk to me about navigating that space and using the discipline practice and ritual of Nikon in yeah. that in that couple' space
1: yeah um so i wouldn 't actually think of it as therapy but um I think of it essentially as um, Often, when a couple is having problems, when they're when they're um, struggling in their relationship, whether they're they're married or not, um, and this doesn't just apply to a couple in an intimate relationship, it can apply to a person with um, their their aging mother or their adult child or you know a sibling. But let's talk specifically about couples because that's I think one of the most challenging things is, is to have a successful intimate relationship with someone you know for a long period of time. Um, and most of us who are in that situation know that that there are ups and downs um, on that path. So. <clears throat> Most couples, uh, when they come for some kind of help or they're looking for some kind of support, um, they're in a place, and and I've been here myself, where where they're pointing fingers at each other, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we have problems, and the problem is really he's doing this, this, and this, and he's not doing this. And, of course, he's saying, yeah, we do have problems, and it's the fact that she's doing this, this, and this, and she's not doing that. And um, so they're each looking at each other and what the other person is doing and not doing that aggravates them. Right. And so Nikon is a method of self-reflection with these three questions. Um, One of the things that I'll I'll have them do is to just individually go back and um, spend some time. I usually have people start at the beginning of their relationship if they're married, even before they were married, when they were dating, for instance, during your dating period, those those years you were dating or months. Um, what did you receive from your partner, you know, before you actually got married, let's say. And um, I'll ask them to write that down, you know, on a piece of paper and be very specific. And of course they've got to think, particularly if you've been married for a long time, they have to think back. Um, and then what, what did you give to that person during that same period of time? And then that third question, which is the hardest, what troubles and difficulties did you cause them during that period of time? And, and what those questions do is they shift the couple's attention from looking at what the other person did that caused them trouble, right? In other words, my looking at, you know, I'm very familiar with what my wife does um, and doesn't do that caused me trouble, right? But I don't naturally, my mind does not naturally gravitate towards, I wonder what it's like for my wife, and I wonder how, you know, how uh, she looks at uh, living with me in the way I cause her trouble. Because I see it from my own perspective. But when we look at that third question, which is for me, what did I do to cause Linda trouble and difficulties? What I'm really doing is saying, I want to look, see what is it like for Linda to be married to someone like me, mm-hmm. right? And that's a perspective that most of us don't have naturally. So um, so by working with those questions, that the attention and, and energy in that relationship shift. So one of those shifts is people start Um, remembering and noticing what the other person is doing for them and how they've been supported and cared for going way back to even the beginning of the relationship. Right. And they've been, they've gotten into the habit of really focusing primarily on how the other person's causing them trouble. The second thing is they look at what what they're giving to the other person and that will really vary in every relationship. Um, But at least in many cases, they find a person, they find that, that they're actually receiving more from their partner than they're giving. And then that third question, which is always really kind of the the bell ringing question of looking at how am I causing troubles and difficulties to my partner? And there is no question. There is no fourth question in which you look at, well, how is she causing trouble and difficulties (laughs) to me? Because we're already really good at that. We don't need to have a structured question to answer that, right? Um, And just by going through those questions, the attention in the relationship starts to shift and the awareness of the other person starts to shift and the awareness of ourselves and how we're actually conducting ourselves in that relationship um, often becomes very clear to us in a way that um, is not necessarily something we're proud of, right? Because we, we have to look at all of those moments where we yelled or raised our voice or swore or, drank too much or any of these kinds of things had an affair we have to look at how we're treating that other person and where we basically fell short of our own standards of conduct and while that's not easy to do it's a great way to basically move towards healing and actually reinvigorating Hmm. a relationship
0: mutuality if you will Mm um you, you you uh I, I, I understand I run the risk, and maybe we all do, of, of laying over percentages of, of these, some of these questions, but I know in the book you kind of said, hey, you probably want to be about 60% in that third question. It's real easy for you to say, oh, I gave this and I've received this, but it's, it's tough. Talk to me about you know, giving more time to that third question than the, than the first two.
1: Yeah, well, that's a that's a great question because the um, you know the person who founded Nikon was a man named Yoshimoto Ishin in Japan, and he was the one who really set that expectation. He said there are three questions, but in terms of the time you devote to each question, you really shouldn't do it equally. You should really do um, much more on the third question, and um, uh, and so I can't represent why he came up with that um, recommendation, but I agree with it, and I agree with it because. I think the third question is the most difficult question. It's the question that really um, forces us to confront or face um, our kind of darker side of our conduct. It's the question that really challenges our ego. You know we have a uh, an image mm-hmm. of who we who we are and who we want other people to think we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, looking at it, the, the example I, I can give real quickly is like, if you're, if you're driving down the highway or a street, you know, in your, in your car or truck and, um, uh, and somebody cuts you off, you know, they change lanes, they go into your lane and they cut you off. And, uh, it's, it's kind of a near miss. Right. And of course, like. Suddenly your adrenaline goes up and you look at that car, maybe the person in the car, and you have some kind of reaction, whether you keep it internal or you start swearing at the person, you're, you're, you're upset and you're mad and you're angry and you're thinking like they could have caused an accident, you know, what's wrong with them. And then you get to work. And what's the first thing you do? You get your coffee and you start telling everybody about what happened that you almost got killed on the way to work because this stupid idiot cut you off, you know, and 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 you had to swerve to get out of his way. Um, but let's say the opposite happens. Let's say you're, you're driving to work and you cut another person off, right? And you just didn't, you know, you didn't see them and you went to change lanes and suddenly you hear a horn. And sure enough, there was a per- there was a car right there maybe in your blind spot and you cut them off and, you know, you just there's a near miss. And so what do you do? You go to work and you get a cup of coffee and you're thinking like, um, like, you know, well, you know that that uh, I, it's, it's too bad that I didn't see them, you know, and and in other words, you excuse yourself for doing the same thing that you get angry at the other person. That's right. right? Yeah. So um, so that other person should really take responsibility for their poor driving. But when we do it, we just think, oh, I just didn't see them, you know, and that's it. And then we don't certainly don't tell anybody about it. Um, we just move on with our day. And so I think we want to uphold this image that we have. And when we do that third question and we look at the problems and difficulties we're causing, we have to basically come face to face with the fact that um, we've got lots of imperfections and flaws and we have moments where we uh, don't behave well or we don't meet our own standards of how we want to live our life and relate to other people um but it's important to look at it because it's true Hmm. right and and it doesn't necessarily make us feel good but you have to make a choice are you more interested in feeling good are you more interested in seeing the truth about how you're living
0: yeah yeah penetrate illusion and touching reality as our good friend parker j palmer says um Thank you for that. T- talk to me about, uh, this is a practice of attention. I mean, if I could say, what is Nikon? It, it, it is It is reflection. It is attention to your life. Um, is there? It, it, have you seen in three, four decades of participating with this on your own, of helping people uh, learn to use it in their life, does the degree to which uh, we self-reflect and give attention and become aware does does our capacity for gratitude and compassion does it does it follow the same trajectory? I, I, I understand the risk of using verbiage like trajectory in this in this scenario, uh. but but have you seen um, the more we can step back and see ourselves, warts and all, um, mm-hmm. is the degree to which not only do we awaken? and see all these places in life where gratitude can overflow in our lives, where our cup overflows. But at the same time, we, there's, there's this undertone of compassion that begins to arise that instead of playing the victim card, we go, you know what? Mm-hmm. Uh, I could have done that too. Um, talk, mm-hmm. talk to me about that.
1: Well, um, I think attention is very much at the heart of this material um, because I would argue that if, if we're not paying attention to what's going on around us, and and so many of us, so much of our lives are just caught up in our head, yeah, right? Yeah. We're just caught up in our thoughts or in our feelings. We're not really noticing what's going on, and um, and so without being able to pay attention to what's going on around us, we really can't be grateful because we don't notice what we're being given, right? Mm-hmm. And so in order to notice that, we have to shift our attention and actually notice and look for those things and at any given moment you know there's there's hundreds or thousands of little events micro events going on so i'm i'm sitting here and i'm having this conversation with you um and at the same time i'm i'm there's you know, light coming from lamps in this room and uh, there's a clock on the wall that's telling me the time. Um, there's fresh air. I live in Vermont. There's nice fresh air in the house for me to breathe. Right. Um, but the thing is, I'm also aware of the fact that I'm sitting on a, a chair with a cushion on it, which is relatively comfortable to sit on. Right. Um, and for me to be aware that I'm receiving support from this chair in the most concrete way possible, um, I have to basically direct my attention uh, towards the fact that I'm sitting on a chair right now. Otherwise, I can sit on a chair all day and never really be aware of the fact that I'm receiving support from this chair. And so the question becomes, how do we train our mind or our attention to look for the ways that we're being supported and cared for and loved um, in the world and in our day-to-day living? And most of us default to looking for the exact opposite, we look for the problems in life. We look for the things we can complain about. We look for challenges. We look for things that don't go our way, right? We The, the thing that we get, get up in the morning, we really want a day where everything's going to go our way and anything that doesn't, we notice that, right? And so how do we shift our attention so that we actually begin to notice the things um, that are going our way, but that that are going away our way in such a way that we normally don't even pay any attention to them. You know, every time we put switch on a light switch, right? There's all this electrical energy that's, that's moving so that we can get light. But the time that we notice that that light or that um, lamp or that switch is usually when we switch on the light and there, no light comes out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then it's like, hey, what's going on here? The bulb must be dead, right? So we notice it when it doesn't work, but the previous you know 217 days where it worked fine, we just didn't even pay any attention to it. And that's what we're really trying to do. We're trying to train our attention so that we begin noticing those things and as we notice them, we don't actually have to um, somehow manufacture gratitude or try to make ourselves feel grateful. It just becomes a much more natural experience yeah. because as we're going out in the world, um, I, I you know for many years, when I would go out and uh, in the world, and there were um, there was construction going on. Sometimes they'd be painting those lines on the highway. You know, where um, they've got that truck that just paints the, those little yellow lines so that the, mm-hmm. um, the lanes are defined. And of course, it slows the traffic down. And I would, in my mind, I would always be complaining, like, "Oh, I'm going to be late for this appointment, or I'm going to be late for work." And you know, why do you have to do this construction? You know, like right during rush hour. I'd have this whole little dialogue in my head. And the other day I was coming back um, uh, from an event uh, and and it was evening and they were actually painting lines on the interstate highway here in Vermont. And I'm thinking like, that's really great that they're painting those lines because those lines are keeping people from getting in accidents, mm-hmm. including accidents with me, right? Because you can see which, very clearly what your, where your lane is. And so um, I don't say that in order to kind of brag because I still complain plenty of times about traffic and the weather, but I would have never thought of that before because I would have never noticed it and noticed it in a way as something that was supportive of me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What you focus on expands. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. if If you want to be a cynic, plenty to be cynical about. You want to be a pessimist, there's plenty to be pessimistic about, but if you will be on the hunt for beauty, for uh, the places of, of gratitude in life. I always think of um, there's a there's a oh gosh there's a feast of a saint in the Catholic tradition sometime in May, and I wish uh-huh. I knew the the name of the saint, but he or she is is kind of. Uh, she gave the the phrase to the individuals that are unseen in the world, and, and they, they called them the glue of the world. So anytime you see people working on the road, building buildings, doing, you know, picking up the trash, doing things like this, I, I've learned this little phrase of just muttering under my breath, glue of the world, glue of the world. And you want to talk about a massive shift in state of consciousness uh, mm-hmm. when you can see those people from that vantage point. Um, it it sure is a, a, a whole different experience. Um, yeah,
1: and and I think that going through this Nikon reflection because you know you you now if you particularly if you do this in a retreat or in a, in a training or in a, with a counseling person or a teacher, um, and that person says, "Well, I want you to spend twenty five minutes reflecting." You know, on your day yesterday, with these three questions, and so you're looking at well, what did I receive, and you know, not much is coming up, and you're thinking, well, I received food, and you know, I received a uh, uh, car, and uh, you know, I, I received a check that I for my lunch, and you you have a few things down there, and then of course you get back and you hear somebody else who's done the same thing and they've got 43 things on their list. Uh, Very specific, right? Like I I received a chair to sit on at work and I received the Wi-Fi and electricity. And um, so it becomes a a process of retraining our minds um, to shift away from uh, just noticing problems and difficulties and things that aren't going our way to be able to notice basically ways in which we're supported and cared for And that shift of attention to me is what begins to cultivate or nurture a very authentic sense of gratitude, Uh, gratitude for specific things and gratitude for life overall.
0: Yeah, yeah. The more you notice the Wi-Fi, the chair you're in, the salt and pepper on the table, the more you can absorb the spots in the day that don't go right that normally would have sent you off right mm-hmm. into some negative tailspin. Uh, there, there's actually, I mean, I, th- I, think, I think what it does is it cultivates, uh, I don't want to say cushion, but a space to absorb the negative where it's not so much of a big deal anymore. And, and, and I think that if there is a practice around gratitude uh, or, or, the, or a benefit, if you will, um, it is that the degree to which... I awaken, fall in love with, feel gratitude for the very, very atomic spaces in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. Is the degree to which I can absorb some of the stuff that may not go our way. And hey, when was the last time you had a day that 100% went your way? They don't exist.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know what you just just said reminds me actually of a little um, story that Mark Nepo tells in one of his books. I know he's been Let's on your show. He's he's a wonderful poet and a wonderful teacher, and I use actually uh, this story um, uh, when I teach Nikon because he tells the story, and and I'm just going to have to paraphrase it about uh, kind of a um, a young man who's with a a teacher, and the teacher gives him a glass of salt water, right? And he gives him a glass of water, and he gives him a a handful of salt, and he puts it in the water, and he says, you know, take a sip of water, and of course. The water is extremely salty Mm -hmm. to the point where he he spits it out, and then they walk down to the ocean or or to to a big lake or something, and he gives them the same amount of salt. and and He says, "You know, okay, throw this salt into the into the lake, and now take a sip of water. And of course, you don't taste any Mm -hmm. saltiness at all, right? And um, and it's the same idea that." We begin to see that, of course, we have problems and difficulties and challenges. And, you know, there's, there's, we have health events, you know, that really are uh, scary for us. And uh, we have loved ones who are suffering. Of course, all of this stuff is going on. But it's going on in a larger context in which all the years we've been around, we have been supported by you know, countless beings who are growing food and transporting food and putting the lines on the highway. And I could could go on for the rest of the show. And when you see that, as you were saying, um, it's like going to the lake and taking that salt and putting it in the lake. Uh, because now what you see is that, that it's the, the, the lake itself, that big body of water is beautiful and the water tastes delicious. Um, and that little bit of salt isn't going to be something that you're going to notice um, because you're you're so aware of the freshness of the whole lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, Mark, if Mark, if you're listening, um, I hope you don't mind that I use yes, your story.
0: Our village elder, brother Mark. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, amazement, astonishment, wonder, awe, contentment. I mean, I, I, I think there there's so many words that I think we could attach to um, the benefits. Uh, maybe the waters we swim in after um developing this practice i i maybe for some of our listeners um that are kind of hearing this conversation and they're like i'm i'm interested uh how how do I get started? How do I keep the discipline going um wh- what's what's your invitation there for people that may be hearing this hearing these three questions where do they begin? how do they build the momentum to make it something that becomes a ritual in their lives?
1: Well, I think that the easy way to start, because I've already mentioned the questions, I'll um, mention them again, or or, um, Ashton, maybe you can kind of put them up on your website, but um, you don't have to buy anything, right? You can just work (laughs) with the the questions. And I would suggest that you start in the simplest way, which is to just um, reflect on the previous 24 hours. Whenever you do this, you sit down, find yourself a space where you can get a little bit of, hopefully, distance or quiet for maybe 25 or 30 minutes, And just look at the previous 24 hour period and just look at that period and just say, during this time, what did I receive from anybody and anything else? Um, I actually include objects. So I'll say, you know, I I received my shoelaces, laces helped me keep my shoes on. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, but if you don't, if you don't like the idea of using objects, you can just use people. Um, But you make as long a list as possible. Go on to the second question. What did I do or give to others? You know, I went out this morning and I got a, muffin and brought it back for my wife, something I gave her. I made coffee this morning. That was something I gave her. You make your list up. Um, and the third question, what troubles and difficulties, um, did I cause other people? Maybe you were late for an appointment. Um, maybe, uh, you know, you, uh, Made a left turn in front of somebody, and they had to slow down because they're a little bit worried that that you know you were making a left turn improperly. Um, so any way that you cause trouble or difficulty, and you take about twenty five minutes and just see what you come up with, and just see what your experience is. So that's a great way to get started. If you, you know, if you want to be able to to work with the material in a in a broader way, I would recommend you know my my first book on Nikon, which. Um, Ashton has read, uh, it's called Nikon, Gratitude, Grace, and the Japanese Art of Self-Reflection. Um, and then if, if you really want to kind of dive into this experientially, um, but not do a retreat and sit facing a wall, um, every November, we have what we call a month of self-reflection. And we have a 30-day period and you get a self-reflection exercise every day in the morning, um, that's emailed to you. And then there's also a website and there's, you know, all kinds of materials that readings and everything, but really the core is, is to have a daily exercise and you basically try for 30 days to really do some amount of self-reflection, even if it's 10 or 15 or 20 minutes a day and just see what your experience is after a month. So, um, uh, it's, it's just a wonderful way to really make self-reflection kind of part of your. Um, daily daily lifestyle. And most of us really don't do that. You know, if you mm-hmm. think about how many of us are so busy, right? We're so busy. We don't have time for this. We don't have time for that. So we're very active. And then after all of that activity, um, what do we do? Well, it's it, we do passivity. We come home and, you know, we look at, at social media, we watch a movie or YouTube or something like that. So we have activity and passivity, but we have almost no self-reflectivity, mm-hmm. right? And and so and it's so important because it can really, to me, self-reflection is a part of a healthy relationship. It can keep your relationship intact and, and healthy. It's also, I think, part of a spiritual practice. When I did research on my book, I found that almost every spiritual tradition, religious tradition recommended uh, self-reflection as a concept. What I found is there were very few methodologies right mm-hmm. icon being an example of a methodology that's very structured has questions um and so i think it's part of a spiritual practice i think it's um great for our attitude in terms of not falling into just a life of complaining when some people ask me about japanese psychology and how is it different and I, one, of, one of the characteristics is what i would say is you go from a shift from a complaint-based lifestyle to a lifestyle based on authentic appreciation, mm. and, and we do that basically through self-reflection and kind of retraining um, what we notice. So love it. So anyway, I think that that'll get your your listeners uh, give them some options in terms of moving forward. Yes,
0: yes. In your words, another another sentence that I would underlined in the book: uh, "Seeds of change are planted in the gardens of our experience." Um, and so I, I think, uh, as we all long to shift out of a complaint-based consciousness, right, victim-based consciousness, into one where we recognize just how much our cup overflows, we 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 realize just how much goodness and beauty surrounds us. Um, that change will happen in uh, the gardens of our experience, and I think this methodology is one that. Um, I've really enjoyed it, and, and I think it's going to be uh, a great gift in my life.
1: Well, it's, it's been – do I have time for one other little story?
0: Bring it on. Absolutely. Okay.
1: i want to tell you my, one of my favorite stories, um, which happened, which was from Japan. I attended actually a big conference you know, back in the early 90s, and um, one of the people um, who was presenting at the conference was a former member of the Japanese mafia, so it wow. was they call, and they call it the Yakuza. and he told this story that just kind of um, really brought me to tears. and um, so he he was a very high level member of the Japanese mafia. and uh, to the you know he, he he was like at that level where he he would order people to be killed or murdered, right? And um, he was uh, um, caught and convicted, um, I think of a lesser crime because they they couldn't necessarily get him for everything he had done, but he went to jail. And at that time, they were actually doing Nikon in the Japanese prison system. They were using it as a method of rehabilitation. So he went through this week of Nikon while he was in prison. And many, many years later, he got out of prison and um, having gone through this and he started a new life and he became a gardener. Right, and so he was working as a gardener um, for a while, you know, in different people's Japanese gardens. And one day, these two guys, uh, men in in uh, suits and ties, come up to him while he's working pulling weeds, and they say, um, you know, the boss, something like the boss heard you're out of prison, and we'd like you to come back, you know, to the mafia. And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm really not doing that anymore. I'm just kind of a simple gardener now. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not involved with that anymore. And they're saying, well, you know, the boss really, he really wants you to come back. He, he sent us over to tell you that we'd like you to kind of come back to the, to the mafia. And he says, no, I, I think, you know, I did, I did that for a while, but now I'm really just trying to live a simple life as a gardener, you know. And they looked at him um, and they, they basically kind of shook their heads and they walked away and left. And they came back the next day. And they said to him, um, you know, we told the boss what you said. And he basically said, um, you need to come back to the mafia. And the guy pulls a gun. And he points the gun, you know, right in the face of the gardener. And the gardener just puts his palms together. Um, We would say in prayer in Japan, they would say in gashou. And he said, you know, if you need to kill me, go ahead and kill me, but I'm just a gardener. And then the two guys left and he never saw them again. Wow.
0: Wow. It's in the garden. That's where the seeds are planted. Um, (laughs) thank you for that story. Thank you. That was beautiful. Um, so I always kind of wrap up these conversations, uh, with, with just a couple questions. Um, cause I love, I'm, I'm, I'm a wisdom junkie. I think that's what I am. I think I'm a wisdom junkie. Um, and I, and I always ask people like what, what's af- after three, four decades of this and you've got your, you know, retreat center, um, all this beautiful work in the world, uh, what's currently keeping you curious?
1: What's keeping me curious? Um, hmm. Well, I would say that uh, one of the things that um, is kind of on my plate now in terms of challenge challenges is um, I've written a number of books about Nikon and, and also Morita therapy, Japanese psychology, and the, but they're all nonfiction books. And so I'm in the process of writing a novel in which I'm hoping to in, in by telling a fictional story in the context of a, of a novel that I can um, share some of these teachings, but not in the way you would find them kind of in a list in a nonfiction book. Mm -hmm. And I'm finding that very challenging because I've never um, written a novel. I've never written fiction before, but, um, but I have this idea of of a novel and i've started writing it already but it's it's a cross between um kind of a dan brown you know da vinci code thriller and um and something like paolo coelho's the alchemist let's go right? yes <laughs> those, those two things coming together in one novel that's that's what i'm trying to do so that's really keeping me curious because i'm i'm trying to learn how to you know turn this work into a fictional story Mm -hmm. um so i think that that's certainly one thing i think um another thing is uh you know i just i turned 66 recently and um and so i was talking to a student of mine just today and i was saying you know um, I'm now in the fourth quarter. Like if, mm-hmm. if life is a basketball or a football game, I'm in the fourth quarter, there's no timeouts, right? I don't know how far into the fourth quarter I am. I might be like right at the end of the fourth quarter, or I might still have like a bit of time left in the game, but um, it's really getting me to be very clear about where I wanna put my energy mm-hmm. and where I wanna put my time um, and what's really um, important and meaningful that I wanna be able to do with whatever life remains. And and it's something I've taught for many years, but as I get older, um, I become more and more a student of my own teachings in the sense that, that this begins to weigh more in, in terms of my thinking about making choices in my life. So I'd encourage everybody out there, no matter which quarter you're in, um, we never really know how much time we have left and to really think about doing the thing that really gives your life meaning and purpose. Mm,
0: Yeah. Intentionality, clarity. Mm -hmm. Um, what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Um, so clarify to me when you say my younger (laughs) self.
0: Uh, so this could be, this could be a year (laughs) ago. This could be 40 years Uh ago. Um, may, maybe, um, maybe a moment you were caught in suffering, maybe a moment you were caught in unnecessary suffering and, and uh-huh. eventually an aha came your way. Uh, and you were able to drop, uh, either that narrative, the worldview, uh, whatever that may be.
1: Okay. Well, I think that one of the benefits of self-reflection can be, that we can reflect back on periods of our life or events in our life where we were really struggling and suffering. And at that time, there was we couldn't see them any, as anything but suffering, mm. right? But as I look back um, and have looked back on those kinds of events in my life, in virtually every single case, I can now see how those periods of time or those events that created a lot of suffering and struggle and confusion for me ended up being um, stepping stones to um, basically what happened later in which in some way or another, um, my life kind of blossomed Mm -hmm. as a result of having to go through that previous stage. And so part of what I've learned is that um, I don't really have the um, uh, it, the insight to be able to look at a situation in the present and say, you know, this is just terrible. This is just bad. You know, just I, I wish this wouldn't have happened because I never really know how that's going to play out down the road mm-hmm. in weeks or months or years from now. But in my case, it almost always seems to play out in a way that... Um, that there, that there's some benefit uh, or value that appears as a result of that. And I think when I think about the time when I moved to Vermont in 1992, so just about 30 years ago, um, and I think about my life now, I have two two beautiful daughters in their early 20s, and I live in this wonderful place, and I have a wonderful wife. and um, And the expectations I had at the time I moved here have been... So ex- have been exceeded, have, have far exceeded. Mm-hmm. My the, my real life has far exceeded the expectations that I had when I moved here, and um, and so I, you know I couldn't really be um, more content with the the life that I've been given at this point. And I think um, a lot of us have dreams that seem like they would be impossible, but mm-hmm. if you basically stay focused on those dreams sometimes it's not that the dream comes true but it, it's that the truth the dream comes even more true than you ever expected yeah yeah i don't want i don't want to sound you know kind of fairy tale like but sometimes that happens
0: yeah stay on the path it's going mm-hmm. somewhere mm-hmm. um i love it well um Greg Creech, ladies and gentlemen, the author of Nikon, Gratitude, Grace, and the Japanese Art of Self-Reflection, also the founder of the Toto Institute. Greg, what's the best way our listeners can kind of follow you, your work, uh, and maybe get connected with what you're doing in the world?
1: Um, probably to to go to our website, which actually is called 30 daysorg um, it's the, the words 30,000 days, all one word, dot O-R-G. And that 30,000 days, the reason we, we have the website called that is because 30,000 days is roughly the number of days that we all have to live. Right. And um, if you ever do a workshop with me, probably one of the first assignments you'll get is to calculate how many days you have left to live. Wow. And um, And you do that. And of course, in this day and age, you can just go to a website that you can put in your birth date, and it'll calculate how many days you've lived, but you you can figure out how many days you've lived just by calculating that and then subtract it from 30,000. Last time I did this, I think I had about 5,800 days left. And um, it's a constant reminder of my mortality, which becomes a constant inspiration for me to really try to live fully and um, with awareness every day. Wow,
0: beautiful. 30,000days.org you will find greg and the work he's doing there um greg i'm super grateful for your work in the world your generosity and joining us today um you've got an open seat here at good true and beautiful anytime you want it and uh grateful to call you friend and uh thankful for all that you're doing
1: yeah well thank you so much ashton it's really been um a pleasure just having this conversation with you and uh um uh and I actually hope at some point I'd love to come back and talk about the other side of this work, which is the action side. And, uh, so if if you want, I'll get you a copy of of my book that talks about that, but,
0: uh, Yes, but, round uh, two with Greg Creech. Yeah. <laughs> he, you started it. You started the fire. It's gonna happen.
1: <laughs> but um, I think you, you're doing it. You're you have a wonderful show. I really appreciate the kind of guests that you're getting and the material that you're presenting. And um, seems like you've found a niche, you know, to be able to to contribute something meaningful to the world. So, um, uh, so I really I bow to, bow to you for that. Thank you so much.
0: Bow back to you. Grace and peace, my friend.
1: Okay. Thanks, Ashton i